I just, I just think we, we kind of, uh, to me it seems like uh, we had uh, sort of different things to say. Uh, and uh, I, I, I really want to, want to get, his, get his chart and like get shown. But anyway, we, we, if we can get this transcribed, because it seems to me we had three different aspects of the same thing. And I, I think we, we need to build a kind of uh, very systematic way of approaching uh, the legacy of Srila Prabhupada uh, and, and especially dealing with these issues where how it seems to be uh, in different ways in conflict with modern society uh, and, and how, how, to, how, to, how to properly deal with that. And what Prabhupada did to me, did, did to me, did to us was put at the center of ISKCON as really the, the parent temple of the whole movement, the world headquarters, is a temple which enshrines the most difficult part of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the hardest to digest, the cosmology, with a view of the universe that is nothing like, or very little like what we see. And he put it right out there, right up front. So we have to deal with it. I, this is one of the things that I, I have to deal with, which I didn't bring up, was the, the Vedic Planetarium Cosmology Project, of which, you know, the, the, the thing that's it's the communication level is they didn't go to the moon. But behind that is a whole idea of what, what the moon is and how it really works and an alternative view of the universe. Uh, and I feel that one of my uh, assignments is to work with others to make that uh, rationally comprehensible to people. Uh, and uh, that's, that's part of the, the, I think Prabhupada left us with unfinished business. Uh, and that's one of them. And that's one aspect of what we're, we're talking about here. And I think to get a lot of people working on different aspects or places of the, of the same issue uh, in a systematic, coordinated way is, is very important. And that Temple of the Vedic Planetarium, right now, like in America, uh, somewhere in Tennessee, there's a, a, a Bible theme park with a Noah's Ark, right? And the guy that runs it goes on television and debates with uh, various uh, scientists, you know, about the, uh, the, the creation. But most intelligent people kind of just laugh at the guy. So we're okay, nobody's going to pay attention to us, but if we become successful with Mayapur, People will notice it'll become important in India, and then some reporter from the New York Times will come and look at the Vedic Planetarium and, and see this whole thing where the moon is further from the sun, and there are these other planets we don't know, know about, there's Swarga and all this other stuff, and now do you believe in this? So we have to be ready. So that, that's, the, that's, that's the next generation's problem. <laughs> <laughs> Prabhupada gave it to us, so we have an assignment. <laughs> so uh, that's why I think that, that the, the, the three of us, every, uh, I, think, I think 
people on either side of me had something very, very valuable to say from their experience uh, about how this works, and uh, uh, it, it, it should be developed. Thank you. Well, our theme is controversial statements of Srila Prabhupada. And one thing that occurred to me when I first heard this was what statement of Srila Prabhupada's is not either controversial now or will be controversial or is controversial to someone if not to someone else. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Isn't that pretty controversial? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in one sense, everything that he says is challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think what I was trying to say was that um, we as devotees, seeing what the challenge is that Prabhupada is giving everyone, works in our favor when it comes to communication to say everyone has this opportunity. It's not about being labeled this or that or the other thing. We're all labeled. We're all condemned. We're all animals. We're all everything, whatever. (laughs) You know, fill in the blank. Um, But rather, the vision that Prabhupada is giving us is that everyone can become devotee. And related to this topic, I think, uh, a kind of not so far into the surface worry that uh, we have as devotees is if we talk about a certain statement of Srila Prabhupada in a certain way, will we not be relativizing Srila Prabhupada? And I think uh, exactly the opposite, if we see what... What is actually Prabhupada saying behind the particular uh, designation he's giving people or whatever it is? If we see that vision, then we see it's, it has nothing to do with relativization. So, in that sense, going to uh, Shanagarishi Prabhu's initial question, is it the case that everything Srila Prabhupada said the absolute truth? It is the absolute truth when you understand what was his motivation in saying whatever he said. That, that is the absolute truth, not the particular words that he used at a particular point he might be making about uh, this or that, which may indeed be a culturally informed idea. Uh, so I don't think we have to worry that we're relativizing problems. That's a good idea, but it needs to be looked at carefully. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, Ms. Mode? Um, uh, I just think that as communication devotees, but I would broaden it just devotees, um, because I just think, you know, we're not communications devotees. We want to preach Krishna consciousness. We want to help other people. That's our motivation. And anyone who goes out to try and explain Krishna consciousness and can't deal with these simple questions mm-hmm. is in serious trouble. Mm-hmm. You really need to stay at home and have a cup of tea and think about it. You know, we, we have to qualify ourselves. We have to think about these things. 
There's no circumstance where we can't face these questions and think we can go out and, and preach relevantly. You know, we're, we're only going to let ourselves down by, by becoming um, dogmatic and doctrinaire and all the things that we don't want to be. Because that, that's the, the only formulation of a response that you can take without looking at the real questions is to retreat into dogma. And we're not a dogmatic tradition. That's, that's clear. And you know, if, if anyone says that this is the answer and that's the only answer, they've missed the point completely because we preach according to Desha Kalapatra, time, place and circumstance. There isn't an only answer. And I think the whole province whole discourse proves that. You know, he has so many different answers and it's contradictory and that's why we're here trying to figure it all out. You know, he loved black people, but he said black people were such and such. He said women were less intelligent, then he said they're more intelligent. And intelligence is a feminine quality in the Gita, and he translated it as such. Oh, what's he talking about? <laughs> Give you some, but there is consistency if we understand it. But to avoid it because it's awkward, or just someone asks an awkward question and our response is, you're a demon. It doesn't answer the question. We're still left with the question on the table, so we're not preaching effectively. All we've done is insulted someone and closed the door for Krishna consciousness for them. So to be effective preachers, we really have to deal with these questions. And if we don't know the answer, there are three golden words in preaching. I don't know. Perfectly acceptable response. Mm. Because it's honest and it's humble. And it has more effect on reaching someone's heart than a whole litany of defensive blah, blah. You know, so I really think we, we should not be afraid. We may think that this we're entering into some intellectual realm. We really aren't. We're, we're entering into the realm of common sense. And we have, to, we have to... It forces us to deeply think of who we are and what we're about and what was Prabhupada saying and who, who am I in this and am I signing up to this? Do I agree with this? We have to answer these questions. Otherwise, we can't preach with our full heart. And we just become some kind of robot that's just wound up with mantras. I don't know if any of you did Sankirtan of the old days, but to do book distribution, you were given a mantra. And you stop someone on the street and you repeat it a mantra. And if someone couldn't relate to the mantra, you just moved on. You just ignored them. <laughs> just, and it was so poor. <laughs> no, it, the individual wasn't involved. We have to get involved. We have to ask these questions ourselves and become convinced that, yes, Krishna consciousness is still the thing. But there is still the question, did man go to the moon? Is it relevant for me? Is it not relevant for me? What do I think? We have to ask it of ourselves you know, and answer it. And then we can answer someone else. That's the level we have to go to to preach effectively. But in the communications field, you're particularly out on the front line with people in society, with scholars, with religious people, with the media, with government, with the police. And if you come across as a dogmatic person and you, they can see that you haven't thought this through, we're, we're actually doing a disservice. It's definitely better to stay at home and have a cup of tea. Let's see, I had a question or comment first. Well, the rest of us are thinking of this. Good, we have three coming up. Four, good. <clears throat> so, and I think what we should do is see if there's make a particular question or statement. Make a particular question statement, and let's just see if one member of the panel can share the thoughts rather than have all three people answer one question. I think they might limit because it looks like we get quite a few questions. And I'll stand up so if anybody talks to me, I can just take the microphone.
Yes. So I'd like to thank the devotees for their very nice presentations. And um, I have had this question since quite a while, and I think it is relevant to what Shalom Rishi Prabhu was saying. So I hope this is the right opportunity to ask this. Uh, so Prabhupada, in his writings, quotes so many Acharyas, and he was traveling extensively. So I was wondering if he carried books with him uh, that he quoted from, or did he know all those Puranas and Trotskans <coughs> of and all those different things that he quotes? Because in just one purport, he sometimes quotes three different sources. And uh, how to. It's just a factual, them. historical question. How did Prabhupada reference all of these different. Charges and commentators. Was that question four? Anyone? You want to do it? Okay. Um, yes, Srila Prabhupada traveled with uh, books which he was using while he was translating. So there's a particular edition of the Bhagavatam uh, which is in Sanskrit and which has a total of 25. Uh, Acharya's commentaries. Not all 25 are commenting the whole Bhagavatam, but altogether 25. It was published by the Gaudiya Mott, as a matter of fact. Well, he was using for part of the time, but it's also. I remember checking out of a university uh-huh. library for him once. <laughs> yeah. He used different editions. So he used the Gaudiya Mott edition, which uh, is not so extensive, doesn't have all those commentaries. But um, when I first met Prabhupada, at the Paris airport, 1972, I was uh, sent to help pick up his, his luggage uh-huh. from the luggage uh-huh. uh, thing, carousel. So, you know, they pointed, this is Prabhupada, so... Full of books, huh? It full of books. Thank you. Prabhu. Yes, these controversial statements in Germany, we had one anti-college organization as one of their members, one former Prabhupada disciple, he only stayed in the temple for one year, kind of changed sides, and he operates with that anti-cult organization, and he picked up all the controversial statements of Shula Prabhupada's books and summarized them. So anybody who wants to know something about the Hare Krishna movement, said to him and confronted with all these controversial statements. There's also one internet website with all these controversial statements uh, collected and it shines up people quite a lot So, uh, as for me, Gilles, how should we deal with these people? I mean, mostly people who read what find a controversial statement about what books don't wait, wait for Hare Krishna Devoti to explain to them to apologize and all that. Should we actually take steps to uh, try and prevent them this danger and this will be a preamble for our next workshop too, but a good question to at least begin to address here. Shonaka. Um, <clears throat> if it, there's nothing you can do to stop the free flow of information in this technological age. Or misinformation. Or misinformation. Or disinformation. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, that's just as it is, and I think most people understand that. And people will gravitate towards all kinds of sites about conspiracy theories and this and that, and nothing we can do about it. So if we try to counter it, we just advertise it. 
you know, it just it just makes it it magnifies it, and people say, oh, what are they trying to hide? So, on that level, there's not much we can do, but we can start to to respond by developing our responses on our sites, and not focusing just on responses to controversial things, but actually developing uh, Hare Krishna sites that are worth reading. And quite frankly, whoa! <laughs> now there's a mission for the future, huh? <laughs> but, you know, really, there's, if you go out to look at Hari Krishna sites, and generally what you see is Hari Krishna's throwing mud at each other, and you know, talking about this guru, he's so bad because of this and this, and then and then there's a counter response from Iskand saying, well, well, you wouldn't listen to them because I remember them in 1985 when they were just little kids, and it's just infantile and that does more damage quite frankly than all this other anti-cult stuff you know I, I have stopped looking at all ISKCON sites you know I don't I, our, our, our devotee sites you know kind of developing from ISKCON hardly any of them are of any value most of them are written for a devotee audience they, they're actually they've got all these these divine grace you see back to us the former founder charity blah 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 and it's all these passwords that unless you're a devotee you don't understand what the words mean you know, so they're actually written kind of internally, and uh, and they're very badly written. You know, I, I can only speak from the English language point of view, but they're very badly formulated texts, and they're not introductory in any way. And in, how you write a text, an introductory text on the web is for an intelligent 13-year-old. The, you write it for their level of understanding, and we don't do that. So we've got the World Wide Web since 2002, is it? And, and or even before that, we haven't done anything with it as a preaching tool. We have, we, you know, that's poor. That's worse than poor. So the, the simple things we could do to deal with it aren't being done. And that, that's, a, you know, that's the issue for me. Oh, thank you. Sorry. I have a question for Sean Principal. You mentioned in your presentation that we should not be dogmatic. I need a, a definition of dogmatic because my understanding is, and please correct me if that's wrong, is someone is dogmatic when someone accepts a tenet without scrutiny and just uh, repeats that tenet and tries to put that, push that tenet on others. But uh, Prabhupada was sometimes doing just that. I remember having read about See God. And Prophet asked him, if I give you if I give you the answer, will you believe me? And he made the report a promise to believe, and he said yes. And that wasn't that dogmatic, please. Um, yeah, I, I personally don't think so. I just think that was Prabhupada playing with the with the reporter. That's that's a relationship issue. And he's an older man talking to a younger man, he's saying Will you believe me? It's just a relation. It's how you develop a conversation. I don't see it as dogma at all. So dogma is, you look at the Bhagavad Gita, right? You look at the, the teaching process of the Bhagavad Gita. So Krishna starts, Arjuna has a nervous breakdown. He's all over the place. He's lost the will to live. And he just, you know, drops his bones like, ah, help. And Krishna says, okay. And the first thing he says is, well, basically you're a fool, Right? And, which is a very strange start to a counseling session. And then, <laughs> and then he, he, he launches into philosophy immediately. He says, you know, says, you know, we're eternal. 
that you've missed this point completely. And he develops it from there. And then he goes after the teachings on you're not the body. It's clear, crystal clear, that Arjuna doesn't get it. So for the first six chapters, he's, he's talking to him about, okay, okay, what about doing this? What about this? What about this? You have to do it because of this. And what about this? And what about this? And he's giving him jnana yoga and jnana yoga and karma yoga and all kinds of stuff. He's even giving him atheistic arguments. He's totally materialistic. He says, if you don't do it, people will call you a coward. What about that? You know, and he's giving him all along the way and then the middle six chapters all about bhakti and then the rest of the chapters how to use bhakti in the world and then he comes to the 18th chapter Sarvadhanam Prithija and then he says deliberate on this fully and do what you wish to do that's why we're not dogmatic because we always have choice and Krishna gives us choice and all throughout the Gita he says this is my opinion this is my opinion he doesn't say this is the absolute truth I'm God just do it right I don't understand just do it he could say that he's God we expect him to say that because he's God but when he said he said that never was there a time when you did not exist nor me nor in the future will any of us cease to me he said I am not your creator that's a huge difference theologically He's not going to tell us what to do, ever. Because if he does, we can't love him. He uses Vedantic philosophy to set up a theology of love, a philosophy of love. He leaves Arjuna choice. That has to be our template. Because we're a bhakti tradition. So we have to give people choice. And he gave Arjuna so many choices, more choices than Arjuna would have imagined anyway. He gave him theistic and atheistic. Why? Because those choices exist. Krishna wasn't afraid of giving him the choices. He gave him the choices that he would find out for himself anyway on the internet or somewhere else. So just tell him everything and say, this, these are your choices, but this is what I would prefer you to do. And Krishna made it clear what he would prefer and then said, now you decide. So based on relationship, we have to give people the choice, tell them our preference and let them decide. And based on relationship... Hopefully they make the right decision. But we're not dogmatic, and Prabhupada was never dogmatic. With his disciples, he was certainly, you know, he taught them in a didactic way because that's how a teacher teaches a disciple. And we have to discern that, you know. But if you, if you look, if you study Prabhupada deeply, without doubt, he wasn't dogmatic. And, and that's the example of the Bhagavad Gita, the teaching method. We, we, I would suggest we actually don't use it in ISKCON, and we need to. Oh. <laughs> if you know, and if you don't believe, then you're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you for this uh, talk. So I will ask a very pragmatic question. We had last year a Bhaktivinoda course appearance day. We had a speaker in Bangladesh, a speaker who is practicing Christian consciousness for 35 years. Not proper disciple, just two years later in the And uh, in audience, we had three French ladies. We had a new congregation of French ladies. They are very sensitive to topics like women are less intelligent. And if you have a preacher pick up the verse and purple, but twice in purple there is a statement that Chanaka Pandit, women are less intelligent. Interesting enough, there was also one boy, newcomer. He immediately said, What does it mean, women are less intelligent? And that preacher said, I don't know, this is not, I'm just reading. That was his comment. And then later, throughout the lecture, he was, 
at the end, the question and answer, he was again asked about the same topic. And somehow he was not able to find way through. Uh, the same lecture was spoiled. And somehow we were discussing later what to say and what the teachers say. He was using your statement, I don't know, it didn't work. It was really bad. And later I asked, and I wrote to Shivara Maharaj of his broadcast, Maharaj, <laughs> I wanted to really get very pragmatic on the spot reply. Three French ladies, one new boy, woman are less intelligent, I don't know. But it was really, and it looks like our society doesn't have an answer on that. And we are now speaking here for few hours also, I'm not clear what to say on that. And one more point which I did. Last week we were discussing on a Bhagavad Gita lecture amongst devotees, ten of us. Uh, senior ladies were there, uh, Guru is few of them, they came from Bhajans, and I was asking them the same question. And all of them were really like a hot potato, and I was able to reply directly. So it was really interesting. Thank you very much for your answer. And at least in the first example, they were French, so we know they're naturally not critical at all. No. I'd like to first, first of all, extend my thanks to Anuttama Prabhu for giving me the microphone. I don't know why. <laughs> Because you're going to take some notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have to learn how to do this now. Well, just two thoughts come to my mind. One is the point I made before. I would say that uh, the the I think a useful word here is trajectory. The trajectory of everything in, in Prabhupada's statements is to point us toward the ultimate goal of life uh, and. So the, the more immediate trajectory here, you might say, would be that women who practice Krishna consciousness are most intelligent. And going back to my little chart, uh, saying women are less intelligent, I think the problem here is the word intelligent, how it was used by Prabhupada. And generally his way of using it in this context was to say women must be protected. So I would shift the discussion to that. Why is it that uh, the, what we call Vedic tradition would emphasize uh, the notion that women need protection? That's, that's where I would direct it. And the other point I would make is um, let's, let's be honest, and let's be honest uh, especially to new people uh, by saying, you know, this is a very... Uh, it, this has been a very challenging dis, uh, topic in our society, and uh, it's an ongoing discussion. And um, welcome to the ongoing discussion, <laughs> something like that. Instead of trying falsely to, you know, come up with quick answers that no one's really satisfied. Yeah, that. <clears throat> um, in, in the uh, in the um, it's on. It's on. Okay. In the uh, Bhagavad Gita and other places, uh, we discover that uh, the human form of life is meant for self-realization. And self-realization first means understanding I'm not the body. And so this project of liberation most easily and naturally occurs to a soul, it's in a human soul in a male body. Uh, because 
male bodies and female bodies are wired into material nature in different ways. Uh, and, and liberation means you want to become free from material nature. That occurs more easily to men than it does to women, at least in traditional societies where children were very important and you wanted to have as many children as possible. So uh, a male's uh, contribution to the act of reproduction takes about five minutes at the most. And so a male, you know, that's, that's it. But a, a woman, every month her body goes through changes, uh, she gets pregnant, and then she finds herself uh, like a, sort of like a parasite or something. She gets feels taken over by material nature. I mean, I haven't experienced this, but I, my wife, <laughs> we have three children, and I watch it gets taken over by no no man has that experience of being sort of used by material nature to do something, and that this baby growing inside and it's going to come out when it wants, you know. And then you're connected with that baby in a certain way. Uh, and, and so it's, it's clear, you know, when you say, I want to become free from material nature, yeah, that, that, that occurs to men. Uh, but but a, a woman, what do you mean? How, how is that possible? So that's why it's, it's more naturally a, a male project. And when intelligence means, you know, having spiritual goal-directed activity, it more naturally occurs to men. What the Bhagavad Gita does, especially, is, is really, it's dedicated, to Vaishnavism in, in fact, it is dedicated to the spiritual enfranchisement of people that were previously thought to be ineligible. And it explicitly says this, people who are shudras, people who are fallen, people who are women, before they couldn't, thought, thought to be eligible for this project. But the Bhagavad Gita gives method which people even uh, in other situations would not be able to do so, uh, can do so by, by Krishna consciousness. So, that, that, so this, is, this is one reason why, why uh, especially when you look at the whole Vedic project, until you get, until you get to uh, really having Vaishnavism be, be central, uh, uh, that 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 the, the 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 project of liberation is very much a male project. Uh, so so that 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 that's another reason why uh, why uh, the, the the male is giving a kind of preference in, in this way. But we're revolutionary in the sense that. People who, who, who uh, I, I mean, like, look, uh, I'm not born in India. Uh, any, anyone who's not born in India is a, is a, is a, is a Yavana, <laughs> is a, not eligible. You know, just not eligible. Just Prabhupada coming to the West and preaching is, you, you, to people who are not eligible, uh, and from a Vedic point of view, my being an American in a male body and a, a female in a male body, the difference is minuscule compared to the whole thing that differs us from Vedic culture.
make a presentation about uh, context-specific, especially for conversation, mm -hmm. given that the transcription and the books don't mm -hmm. reflect everything that was happening mm -hmm. at that time. What about books which were written and, and it was specifically for the long, the long haul? They were not like context-specific, and we still find quite some controversy. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the books the books also have their context. I mean, when Prabhupada wrote and considered things, uh, you can tell from the context sometimes what he has in mind. Uh, there are passages, for example, uh, when, when Prabhupada was, was writing about the, the, the pastime of uh, Gajendra and the crocodile, there's a whole thing about fighting Maya on favorable grounds. And he gives a whole thing about somebody may take sannyas and fall down, they shouldn't give up. And he had a particular disciple of his in mind, who, who at that time that happened. So sometimes you can just see you know, why certain subjects come up and Prabhupada treats them in a certain way, uh, which, uh, which is, there, there's that, that kind of context. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, when, when Prabhupada wrote that, he's looking at the long run, but he's also dealing with issues that are coming up, up to him. I think there's a real difference between the, the way Prabhupada did the Bhagavatam before he came to America and after. In fact, he changes his mind. He changes his mind, and it's in the Bhagavatam. Because in the very first volume of Bhagavatam, he says that Varnashram Dharma is not possible in this age. Huh? Yeah, in the, well, it's, it's still there because we reprinted it. <laughs> we just cleaned up the, the, the language a little bit. But he says it, still says that in the, in the, in the introduction, I think, or the preface uh, that, that he wrote, that Varnashram Dharma is not possible. And the thing about bhakti is you don't need Varnashram Dharma. He changed his mind based on the experience that he had in America. And you can follow in, the, in, in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in his conversations with devotees when he changes his mind. But Prabhupada, I thought we were all Vaishnavas. He says, are they? Are they Vaishnavas? Then why are they falling down? <laughs> so you can see it. So even there you can find sometimes, you know, and, and that changed experiences uh, influences the way he he, he writes it. Of course, Varnashram Dharma is not so easy either, so <laughs> that's another thing. But, but that was his fallback position. Huh? Uh, we had another comment? Yeah, I just have a comment that we, you know, we were summoned by the Belgian government to the, the anti cult office, which is uh, subsidized by the Ministry of Justice, and they did a research on us. and they asked us like over 100 questions that we had to write back, quite lengthy responses. It took us like weeks of work. Then, after they processed all that, they had a meeting with all their committee, which is like 12 people, and they invited us. We could go with four, five, six devotees. So, we went, we invited Kutnata Chai to give a more academic perspective, and you know, senior devotees, we went, like Vida Chaitanya, Tanya and they asked all these controversial questions, maybe like 20 questions, all these points that we're going to discuss in these quotes that we're going to 
randomizing community. And uh, you know, we were not really prepared, so you know, we gave all kinds of answers, looking at the chart, tried its best. You know, we did our best. It was not great. But the only thing that's safe is that nobody was dogmatic in the whole, in, in any of it. Nobody was dogmatic or nobody was like, you know, getting, let's say, the wrong answer. We're not giving maybe the right answer, but at least we're not saying the wrong thing. The wrong yeah. and, and then at the end, they, they, you know, they appreciate that even though we were not like giving illuminating answers or very well thought answers or something that we had analyzed very well or, or explained very well, there was no like dogmatic kind of uh, backing of certain statements mm -hmm. in which it's like that or we just accept it from there. And they gave quite a, a, a good report of that because of that. So just that maybe we might be ready because we haven't researched and analyzed things so well. But if we don't at least say the wrong answers or become dramatic, that could help us. Parabakti? There's a question. Your opinion is still real, quite precarious in the Kaliuga, this difference between men and women and all the intelligence. Because, of course, it's not related to the Vaishnavi or Vaishnavi because it's very clear respect another situation, but uh, uh, you know we see that the, the man in the Kaliuga, the characteristic of the man is going down and down and down and down. Maybe the, the, the characteristics of the women in general are, are improving much more because they're more easier sex to the profession, they're becoming economically independent. So we are becoming another kind of another kind of gender that is uh, mixed between men and women. And also, but uh, my understanding is that Rauba has very clear this point that also he gives the second appreciation to the women in the, the same opportunity. And uh, it's something that we can still consider or just we can theoretically uh, think that uh, many women are different, but it can be used as something not uh, very uh, uh, real. Yeah, um, we, we quote Vedic times an awful lot, and we don't do any research into it at all. But in Vedic times, women wore the sacred thread, and many women were rishis, you know, um, given opportunities that we don't, that they don't get now in our ISKCON or in other places. But um, just like to recount just my own relationship, you know, in, in a married context, um, my wife and I never had children by Krishna's arrangement somehow. So that changes the dynamic in one sense. Um, and the second time I met my wife, the first time, we had an arranged marriage. We met the first time and I decided I was a brahmachari for six years. I had to take the upper hand. This is a woman. <laughs> have to, you know, get it right because, you know, women are just less intelligent, as we know. So we went for a walk and uh, it was just a little ten-minute circuit and I turned to her and I said, I didn't join this con to get married. I thought that was like, you know... And she, <laughs> she said in a very quiet voice, either did I. <laughs> and I hadn't expected that. <laughs> and we walked in silence for the ten minutes because I didn't know what to say. And it was a wake-up call. She was intelligent. <laughs> so in the next time I thought, okay, sixth canto of the Bhagavatam, where it talks about women's heart being like a razor's edge, mm -hmm. the brahmachari section. The ones the brahmacharis like to read to, before they go to bed at night. <laughs> and uh, so I read it at sixth canto. She was only a devotee for three months at this stage. So she, I knew she hadn't read this, so I knew this was going like boom, boom, boom. So I read it and I said, what do you think? And she said, 
I don't agree with that. Hmm. What could I say? It meant I had to discuss it, so we had to sit there and discuss it. I'd never had to discuss it before. I'd never had to discuss Shastra. It just says as it says. And then we talked about it, and as we talked about it, we realized in every purport, and I'd never read this as a brahmachari, Prabhupada says, but devotee women are not like this. Yeah. He's making a distinction every single mm-hmm. time. <laughs> and I'd never seen it. In every reading, in every brahmachari class I'd given to shore up the ashram, I'd never seen this. <laughs> and she pointed Funny how you can't see what's in front of your eyes. Yeah, and she pointed it out every time. So the fact is I found that, you know, uh, in our relationship, it, it wasn't a, a Vedic relationship in the ISKCON sense. It may have been more Vedic in the traditional sense. But the fact is she was a very intelligent woman. And, and that's, that's, you know, I just have to say it. I, I got married to a very intelligent woman who taught me a lot and could could argue very logically, very um, annoyingly so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, and and that's the fact is that I don't think it's a simple. You know, mm-hmm. Prabhupada wasn't an idiot. Prabhupada was married for many years, and he went through the same thing. So I I just don't think we can read it as simplistically because real life doesn't bear it out. Anyone who's been married for more than ten years, you know. If you've survived 10 years, it means you've realized women are intelligent. You better watch out. Really, is that something to this? Okay. My wife has been writing from Prabhupada. She's intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> But um, <clears throat> I have the experience that like, I was in Sankatan 10 years and uh, I distributed Bhagavad Gita, and different books. And sometimes it seemed to me that distributed uh, books, these controversial statements, they, they don't really make it easy for the people to come to us or to receive favorable about us. But actually, we are making it difficult for them. Like uh, Bhagavad Gita, in the first chapter, there is a statement of feminist intelligence. And I got a few responses where um, they read it and they just put down the book and got a bad impression about Shri Prabhupada and, of course, Krishna consciousness. So I wonder how good is it really that we distribute Some of these controversial statements, and should we try to do something? And they 
formally requested the BBT to insert end notes in certain places, not change the text. That was one option on like not insert footnotes because I felt you're going to upset the way the pages were laid out and would really kind of be intrusive to put end notes at the end. Whatever the famous quote women like Ray put it in context, whatever the word Ray mean in that time of seven something. And the GBC requested the BBT to do so and they chose not to for various reasons, but um, it was an opinion of the GBC that it should be done. So there are other people that would agree with that. So, <laughs> Well, I, uh, I, could, I couldn't hear you. I've, I've got an allergy. The question, the question that, so was, was, was some of the books we passed distributed mass, the Bhagavad Gita teachings of Queen Kunti in the very beginning or repeatedly in Queen Kunti's uh, explanations yeah. of her fallen situation. Women are less intelligent. Yeah, yeah, sure. Similar point to Dina Dayal. It turns a lot of people off. They go away. Yeah. They offend Prabhupada. They have no interest in Krishna consciousness. Should we not do something? That's the question. Yeah, well, I, th I think we need to face the facts. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, maybe uh, seven years ago, I can't remember exactly when, what we, we had a, some meetings in Los Angeles where we started to think about doing strategic planning for North America. Uh, and uh, we were engaged to you know, think a little critically about our movement and what we need to do. And uh, so I made a statement uh, with our, all these ISKCON leaders in North America, Bhaktivedanta Swami was there at the time and others, that a, a number of controversial statements, and the first one I said is that I don't think the Bhagavad Gita as it is should be distributed on college campuses. And another one I said, but anyway, I'll tell you, that's the one. And I made a few others. And... Uh, and we discussed some of it. The Swavas was president, present there, and he was going to ban us from having any further meetings in Los Angeles because it was so discouraging uh, to the book distributors, including that statement. Because all I could think of, you go on a college campus, Open a book, it says, woman is a class is no more intelligent than a boy. And that's it, you're finished. No further discussion. You're just like, people have been so now uh, indoctrinated into what is racism and what is sexism and things like that, that, that you, you just say that and it's over. Just recently in America, the, the owner of a, a, a basketball team was taped secretly, I guess he didn't know the tape recording was on by his girlfriend, uh, chastising her for going out in public with black men. And that, that hit, that, because it was taped, it was put on the internet, everybody saw it, and then all of a sudden, the basketball association is now going to refuse him the right to own a, ba a basketball team. Just for this one thing that was a private conversation between him and his girlfriend. You know? So that's the way it is right now. That's, that's the atmosphere that we are in. And if, if, if we can't have in notes or we can't change the text, I'm sure Prabhupada wouldn't want to have something where the climate is such. I mean, the climate may change again later, I don't know, but right now it's like that. And that, therefore, if we're going to preach on college campuses, we should have other books 
than that. Something should be done to be, be aware of it. That will be the reaction. You won't even get a hearing. And there's statements by Prabhupada that will strike people as sexist or racist or some other ist. Uh, and uh, we can talk to them, we can explain them, but if you can't even open your mouth, what are you, what are you left to do? Time for one more quick question and short answer. Gauri Prabhu. Gaurakash. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes... Whose wife is in the room, so be careful what question you ask. <laughs> I want to ask my wife a question. <laughs> Why do you accept I'm more intelligent than you? <laughs> That's obvious. <laughs> That's a dumb question. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say that um, something about this matter of these. Um, almost like, um, what do we say, thought-ending cliches that sometimes we, like, women are less intelligent. Where'd you go with it? It just kills everything. It kills your thoughts. And I think that I grew up with statements like, proggy dogs eat the frogs, that about Protestants. We Scots grew up with an idea that in the English we had the worst neighbours you could ever imagine. Yeah, but that's true. The worst what? Neighbours. Neighbours. And I learned very hard lessons in life from being involved in Liverpool. And with some of the narratives we live by. Prabhupada said, there'll be Brahmin and Brahmacharya Vaishnavas and they will preach Bhagavatam over the wall and they will just learn a little math, a little English, they'll study Sanskrit and they'll preach. And we live by those codes and as if we couldn't see the wood for the trees, we caused a tremendous disempowerment and disconnect between us and our most vulnerable members of our organization, our children. And so sometimes I think when we get stuck with these statements like women are less intelligent, and what traditional dialogue, narrative, and history did not make those statements? And who has chosen to carry them into our present? And who has chosen to perhaps try to see the wood or try to see the trees, whichever way it may be. And I think that, like I've come here, one male with Nandurani, um, head of the, was the head of the Krishnamanti school in the UK, recognized academic, advising on all various levels of Kurgan's education. My wife, earns a higher income, far higher income than me, is a lawyer and makes a tremendous contribution to the society she lives in. The lady next to her baby, he took over as our communications manager 
because the men could just not get it together. Next to her is Mina, who's the press officer for the National Health Service and specifically for the Minister of the Health Services. And when I think of this question of less intelligent, I think, is it clouding us from seeing what's before us? And, it's, and with regards less intelligent and being related to weakness, I can understand perhaps societies which were ruled by kings and armies, by power, that women were tremendously vulnerable, why body had to be protected. But in contemporary democracy, and where we have a social welfare state, equal opportunities with regards to work, where our families are not based upon agrarian standards of where the man's out with the plug and the woman's managing the house. It's no longer that, it's an urban society where we stay. And so in that context, um, I think, why are these, we're stuck with these statements? In a sense, they've become a burden for us. And as society moves on, we become, the currency changes, and the old narrative, we become, what would you say, discredited for it. I think also we have to consider that the discourse of the past was completely dominated by men. In histories, women weren't necessarily part of that discourse. How recently did they have a right to vote? Men were determining and making all the statements about everything. Perhaps it would be different if, it, if the women were making so I think that, though I still think my wife's less intelligent than me, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the Vedas, it's just a relationship. I think that... Um, you have to protect the male false ego. <laughs> it's also a Vedic injunction. <laughs> the point I was going to make about contemporary society, that it's becoming more than men. <laughs> because of the strength and capability and contribution of our women. Look at our schools. It's all women teachers. Because nowadays we realize we can trust them more than anybody else. Even as men, we don't really trust other men with our kids that much. So I think that, you know, just to perhaps put a kind of strong Whatever the conclusion of all this is, I, I don't know. I just try to live in a contemporary space and survive it. But I think whatever it is, I, I just thought that I'd like to put forward a kind of strong opposition to what might be dogmatic acceptances of things which advisors to politicians made in pre-medieval society. Very good points. One thing that didn't come up, I was thinking some of were raised, there's no time to get into in depth, but just on this question of intelligence, I mean, these days there's a lot of research on emotional intelligence versus whatever the other side is causing, you know, maybe certain genders have certain type of intelligence 
female gender definitely has certain intelligence that men don't have in many, many ways, was Prophet using that word in a certain context again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are the kind of things that need to be looked at carefully. Um, we're going to take a short break, just maybe like five or seven minutes, because we have some things to do now. Here's what we thought we would do. So we're finished now, right? You're finished, okay. but not quite yet, because you're going to be on your own panel, too. That, oh, okay. So we... Um, no, I know, I know that, but we don't have to sit here and answer questions. Yeah, anymore. I think the conversation's been very helpful, and it's <laughs> put some things in, 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 in some outlines for us, some, some, some form for us. And as communications people, you know, to be blunt, we can't wait for the scholars to write books on this topic immediately because when it, you know they're not going to give us those ten years and or five years, whatever. It needs to happen, and the society needs to think about it. And at the same time, we're here sometimes in the trenches where the people raise their hands, Dean and Dial. You know, what does this mean? And when it's in front of a TV camera, or whatever, it's not just the two French ladies; it's France. Etc. So um, we're going to kind of break into smaller groups. We chose some topics. Um, we'll see how this goes. Hopefully, this will be a productive exercise because I think it's better we discuss it here than it is we discuss it in front of a TV camera, which many of us do from time to time. So we're going to break into smaller groups when you come back, and we've got some different topics. Uh, Prophet's comments on Hitler. Uh, he's a gentleman. Quote unquote. Kind of hard to deal with in terms of modern context of history. I happen to have a book. I've known a lot of gentlemen. Secret <laughs> War, just to balance things, but they don't tell us in our Anglophile world that, according to some scholarly research, because of the way Churchill managed Bengal, 1.4 million people died because the resources were kept yeah. to feed the British Empire at the expense of Bengali people. So from a Bengali perspective, and who knows what people were saying on the streets during that era, Prabhupada might have come out of it with a very different opinion on who's the real demon of World War II. Okay? You know, etc. Maybe they're both demons. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. There are three of them, huh? Certainly. The so. demons fighting the demons. A lot of demoniac <laughs> But there's some interesting quotes that we may one day find ourselves answering. They're on the websites. They're on the, you know... What the Irish just believe kind of websites. Uh, women, not surprisingly, came up with some of the, the things we found that are first and foremost. So we want to get together, we have a series of questions for you. You can start thinking of some of these. They're real simple, kind of down to earth. What, how do you respond to these questions if you're asked as they were in Belgium by a government agency? What is your response to this? Do you stand by these statements? And we want within the groups to maybe write. Try to write something for us if you can. Just some bullet points might help. Just um, lie. What's your response to these things? You know, whatever. It's taken out of context. You have to put it, blah, blah, blah. Whatever you feel as a group, a little progress. And then a second question is going to be, what would you do if they stick a microphone in front of your face? What's our 30-second or 45-second answer? Because the reality is we have to do that. As I mentioned, I... Yeah, the sound bite. Yeah, what's the sound bite? So, again, we don't say this is conclusive totally endorse what's been said on the panel about the need to put it in context to look at the historical issues, to ask deeper questions about our uh, our standard of, of truth and hermeneutics and to look at the, you know, I think the paradigm that Christian Gentle gave is a very interesting one to look at. And also, what, what do we take away from this to help us through the next one year or so 
as these deeper issues are being worked out. So take a quick break. When you come back, we're going to break into some groups, and then we'll work on these things in a small group. Okay. Thank you very much. And let's show our appreciation to our final panel of experts.